0: Hello my friends. Thank you so much for joining me for this webinar. The title of it is The Critical Spouse, The Insecure Spouse. My name is Rick Thomas and I'm very glad that you are here. Now this webinar is going to be a case study between a husband and a wife. One of the spouses is critical, the other is insecure, and as you might imagine, that's gonna create a polarizing effect between the two of them. But I wanna do a case study because what I'm describing here is a common experience between any two people, regardless of the relational construct. Again, in this webinar, the construct will be marriage, the relationship will be a husband and a wife, but there is cross application here, meaning a critical individual an insecure individual. It doesn't matter if they're married or not, but when that dynamic happens, it can cause all sorts of problems. And so what I want to do is to carefully walk through how to analyze what is going on, and then bring some biblical solutions so that the couple uh, can receive the help, practical help uh, that they need. For those of you who are listening by podcast, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I am glad that you are here. Please take the time to share the link to the podcast with your friends. I would really appreciate that as we want to reach as many people as possible with the practical message of Christ. And this particular webinar is a common situation in so many of our lives. But as you have time, my podcast listeners, if you would jump over to our website, I would love for you to watch the webinar It will be a one-hour webinar, and I have some animations here that will help you to visually work through some of the ideas that I'm going to communicate throughout. So again, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you also for the rest of you who are watching the video. The big idea in this webinar is when one spouse is consistently critical and the other is insecure, the relationship polarizes and will not correct itself without radical changes. This vital webinar speaks to the underlying root problems, practical steps to change, and the ultimate solution. Now, before I get into the actual nuts and bolts of the webinar, I want to give you several footnotes because this is a sensitive subject, partly because it's a common uh, reality in many of our lives and then also there's a a built-in difficulty here because it is a relationship it takes two people who are willing to change and unfortunately that is rarely the case that both people want to change equally uh, and they sense the urgency of it and they both have the humility to do what it takes and so with a webinar like this, a case study about marriage, about a relationship that has polarized. Uh, Typically, one person is more interested than the other, and so I want to share with you just a few footnotes before I get into the nuts and bolts. First of all, this webinar applies to any situation, any relational construct. It can be marriage. It can be between two friends. uh, It can be a a parenting uh, webinar, uh, relationships in the church, children, of course, it could be parents, a a critical parent and an insecure child, or it could be siblings, uh, and of course it can be work. And so even though I'm going to be talking about a husband and wife relationship, you can apply this to any relational construct where two people are together and one of those individuals is critical and the other is insecure, this will be a fantastic webinar to help uh, the two people work through what they need to work through. Now also I want you to make proper Gender applications. I believe probably what I will do throughout the webinar, I'll talk about the critical husband and the insecure wife, but that might not be true for you. It's not unusual for the wife to be the critical slash angry one and the husband to be insecure. And so even though I might be talking about the husband being angry and the wife being insecure, well, then just make the proper gender applications. And if you need to flip that around, just go ahead and and flip it around. Of course, that would also apply similarly at work. If you have an employer who is critical and an insecure employee, make the appropriate application, meaning also make the proper context application. And so even though I'm talking about husbands and wives primarily, you make gender and context application. Now, also, I am primarily speaking to the insecure person uh, in this webinar. There are two people involved. One is the critical person. Criticism is a synonym for anger. Anger is the construct, and criticism is one of the many sprigs that uh, grows out of uh, the angry bucket. And so criticism uh, is a subpoint of anger. Anger is the proper category, and so if I switch back and forth between angry and criticism, I'm saying the same thing, that criticism is a form of anger. But in this webinar, I am just speaking to one half of the dynamic. I am speaking to the insecure person not the angry person. Now, the reason for that is, is because the webinar would be too cumbersome and too tedious to deal with both sin problems at the same time. And so the title of the webinar is The Critical Spouse, The Insecure Spouse. That's the setup. And then I'm going to deal with just the insecure spouse. Now, if you happen to be the angry slash critical person in the relationship, I have two appeals to you. One, repent. Uh, take it serious, seriously. Uh, you are damaging the relationship. Anger, uh, criticism is a demeaning, self-righteous attitude that has a, a pounding effect on the recipient, and I would urge you to repent. And then number two, my second appeal is that I have plenty of resources on our website that will help you. Let me give you a few of those. One, watch the Doctrine of Repentance webinar. It's a one-hour webinar that will walk you through how to repent of your anger criticism. Number two, uh, watch the one-hour webinar on overcoming self-reliance. Anger criticism is a manipulative tactic. It is a self-reliant means to manipulate someone to get what you want. You're relying on yourself, not relying on God. Therefore, you need the self-reliant, overcoming self-reliant webinar. Both of those webinars, the doctrine of repentance and self-reliance are on our webinar page. That's two hours of training for you, the angry slash critical person. And then also I have a digital book on our website called MAD. Go to our store and get the book MAD, and it deals with the subject of anger. And then finally, go to our article section of the website, look for the category Anger, and then once you click on it, you will find a lot of articles. I've written a ton on anger. And so you have no excuse. Uh, If God is working in your heart to repent, of your anger slash criticism, then I have the resources for you, and so I appeal to you uh, to get the help that you need, uh, because it is damaging your relationship. And then for this webinar, I want to deal with the other side of the relational construct. I want to deal with the insecure person. Another caveat is Matthew 7, verses 3 and 5. You see it here on the screen. I'll not read all this to you, but you all are familiar with it. And this is where Jesus is saying that we need to examine the log in our eye first before we go speck fishing. And so I'm going to appeal to you not to go speck fishing because that will be the temptation. It's so easy in a relationship to look across the room and say, yes, but uh, do you see what that person is doing? Do you see how that person is? And to focus on that individual. And so I'm going to ask you uh, to ask God to give you the grace, to give you the courage, to give you the humility, to give you the clarity and the transparency to focus on the log. I am not ignoring the other person in the room. Just as I have been saying already, we have plenty of resources. Resources on anger and criticism, and I want uh, that person in the relationship to get the help that they need, but ask the Lord to give you the humility to focus on how you uh, can overcome insecurity uh, if this is a struggle for you, and so that's Matthew 7, 3 through 5. And then also, I want you to recognize that if your relationship has gone too far, you need to be honest about the relationship you need to know when to find help. In this webinar, I am speaking of normal sin, and I put the word normal, as you see here, uh, in uh, quotation marks. And the reason for that is is because some relationships can be so entrenched, so stubborn, and so angry that they have burnt their bridges and they need more help because... They're not willing to sit down. They don't have the the humility or the grace to sit down and watch this webinar and make those applications. So I am aware that there are some relationships that are so aggravated and so hostile that this webinar will not apply to them because they're just to mean. Now, maybe it's both people in the relationship or it's one person in the relationship. And so if the relationship has gone too far, you need to know when to find help and recognize that this webinar is speaking to what I'm calling normal sin. And then I also want to appeal to you that if you are in one of these aggravated, hostile, angry relationships, do not submit to any sin. Sin is Compromises hierarchy. Now, here I'm speaking specifically to wives, for example. Some wives have gotten the message, and some people have given the message that you submit to your husbands in every way, to everything, and that is just not true. Sin compromises hierarchy. And if your husband is sinning in such a way, he has abdicated his God-given role to lead, and you're not responsible to submit to him in every way. You are responsible to help your brother. Uh, You are responsible to help your neighbor, and so you want to be a neighbor. Uh, You want to be a good sister to your brother, meaning you want to climb over the hierarchy and go over his head and get the help that you need if the relationship has gone too far. Do not make excuses for the sinner. Do not make excuses for sinfulness. If the relationship has gone too far, then maybe this webinar is not for you and you need to go and get outside help so that you can bring the relationship down to a normal level to where both people would be willing to watch a webinar like this and make the appropriate application. So as mentioned, I will be talking about an insecure person throughout this webinar. This is a common problem with all of us. By the way, it doesn't matter if you're in a relationship or not. If you struggle with insecurity or fear of man, which is another way of talking about it, then this webinar will help you to overcome insecurity even though you're not struggling in any type of relational dysfunction. By the way, if you are that way and you struggle with insecurity, I would appeal to you to watch my fear of man a webinar. It's on our webinar page and it's one hour of outstanding training, one of our more popular resources. And I would encourage you as you go through this particular webinar to address your insecurity that you would also tack on the Fear of Man webinar and you will have some outstanding world-class training to tackle this issue of insecurity. The reason that we are insecure is because we have an approval drive. That's just a way of saying that we crave approval. Now, I want to put this in a context of, of Genesis 1 and 2. God wired us to desire his approval and to want him to affirm and uh, want him to accept us, and not want to be rejected by him. These are normal desires, and if you go through the list of what you see here on the screen, uh, these are all synonyms. Every one of these are synonyms. A desire for approval or significance or honor, appreciation, respect, affirmation, acceptance. Or the last one here is rejection, and it's just the other side of the same coin, It's another way of saying the same thing, but you're saying the inverse of it. Please do not reject me. We have an approval drive. Adam did not want God to reject him. He wanted God to accept him, and that is a normal desire. It's a normal desire in any relationship, and if you desire these things— in a relationship, then don't beat yourself up because you desire them. However, it does create a problem in a fallen world because we don't live in Genesis 1 and 2 any longer. We live in a Genesis 3-6 or post-3-6 world where everything is fallen, every human is falling, and so we can distort our desires, and our desires can be Distorted, But insecurity is normal in a fallen world, and part of the dilemma here, or part of what you have to work through, is that God gave us what I'm calling an approval drive, but it's really just a desire uh, to want to know God and to experience love from God. And then as he said in 2.18 of Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. There is an implication there that we desire to uh, be with other human beings and to enjoy the benefits of those relationships as they enjoy the benefits of being with us. And so these are normal things that we should not beat ourselves up over. However, unfortunately, uh, because we live in a post-Genesis 3-6 world that we're born fallen, I'm going to give you a list of things here. You, you, you can see them uh, on the screen And these are some of our shaping influences. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but it will help you to think through what it means to be a fallen human in a fallen world living along along with other fallen people. We come into the world with Adamic brokenness. I have two illustrations here. Our DNA makes us a particular way. Our IQ makes us different from other people. And there's other aspects to being fallen in Adam. This is a lengthy list that you could list out. I've only mentioned a couple things, but we are broken. The Bible word is totally depraved. And so we are totally Depraved. Our minds are broken, bodies are broken spiritually, physically. We're broken human beings. And so that is a huge shaping influence. And as you can imagine, that this approval drive that we have that was pure and undefiled in Genesis 1 and 2, well, now the needle is broken, and it can go in all sorts of ways. There are other shaping influences as well. In utero, uh, things that happen to us while uh, being carried uh, by our mothers. By the way, I have a Webinar, another webinar on our website that talks about our motivations and in shaping influences. This gets into a more granular level of what you're looking at on the screen, and I would encourage you uh, to take a look at that webinar, too. But the way that I am, I am broken in Adam. Uh, My mother carried me, which means something, and there's an element of mystery to that, I recognize. I also struggle with shame and guilt and fear. I have other shaping influences, like my peers uh, have shaped me. Religion shapes us, whether that is good or bad. And then another shaping influences are the decisions that I make. I can make good decisions and bad decisions but those aren't made in a vacuum they will have an impact on my life and so now we have an approval drive God has built into us a desire to love and to be loved but we come into the world a particular way the way that I am and there are many shaping influences us uh, shaping influences that influence us or twist us in unique ways and so we it defiles this idea of approval drive, which is why we have this this, um, sense of insecurity that we feel. Now, I want to uh, take all of those things that I just listed in the earlier slide, approval, significance, honor, appreciation, respect, affirmation, acceptance, and a fear of rejection. And again, these are good desires, and I want to put them on the screen as you see here, and then... I want to uh, talk about how, when these desires control my heart, I am dependent on another person to satisfy these desires, which makes that my which makes that person my functional God. And so now, what we have are good desires, our approval drive, in a fallen body, in a fallen world, among fallen people, and so there is a strong possibility that these good desires can morph. They can metastasize, and they can begin to control my heart. And then I will start looking toward other people in irrational ways, unhealthy ways, unbiblical ways, to satisfy these desires because the desires have metastasized. Now, once I become beholding to another person, Uh, to meet these desires, then that other person is going to have control over my life, meaning that they're going to be my functional God, little G-O-D. I am not going to be happy unless you love me. I'm not going to be happy unless you accept me. Or if you reject me, I'm going to be unhappy. And so whenever we submit these good desires to another person, and recognize that we're not going to be happy until that person satisfies these desires, then we have made that person our functional God. You see, all these desires here that are good can only be satisfied completely in God. For those of you who have come to Christ, you have born again. You've been born again. You've been regenerated. You're a new creation. You're not that Adamic creation anymore. But you are a new creation, and now God fully approves you. You are significant in in Christ. Perhaps you could say it that way. He honors you. He appreciates you through Christ. He respects you through Christ. He affirms you through Christ. He accepts you through Christ. He's not going to reject you because of Christ. All of these desires are met through Christ, But sometimes we can take these desires and submit them to other people and ask other people to satisfy these desires. And when that happens, then that individual that we have submitted these desires to becomes our functional God. Now we are under their control, and that's going to make us insecure. We will be insecure until they satisfy these desires, and that is a problem. And so when these desires control my heart in an ungodly way, I'm dependent on my spouse to satisfy my longings, which makes my spouse my functional God. Now think about when a spouse is critical or a spouse gets angry at the insecure spouse, and the insecure spouse has set up a construct here to where they expect the critical spouse to meet all of these desires, and the critical spouse does not do that. That's why the relationship polarizes, and it's going to be quite difficult uh, for them to Uh, fix things. And so in this webinar, what I want to do is address the insecure spouse, start there, and recognize that you have a metastasized desire that has grown into a need that will only find satisfaction through your spouse, which he is not willing to satisfy at this point that makes him your functional God, and he's an uncooperative God. And that's going to cause a lot of deep frustration and anger and bitterness in you. If my functional God does not cooperate, I will look for other ways to feel better about myself, which may include demeaning my functional God. And then what you have here is the cyclic sin cycle. I have a desire. I want you to meet it. You do not meet it. I get angry at you and then you react to my anger, and now we're in the cycle of sin. And so what the insecure person has to realize is they have set up a false god to satisfy very human desires, but those desires are not met, and they're responding the wrong way to it. And so when your functional god is not cooperative and there is no little GOD that is cooperative. It will cause you to react in different ways. For example, you may look through other means to satisfy this metastasized desire for love and acceptance that you have. Some of the idols that we can set up in our lives to satisfy our craving or lust for love and Respect and significance and honor and approval and acceptance uh, can be things like you see on the screen here, work, ministry, a relationship, a love, a love interest, addictions, hobbies, and self-righteousness. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. Let me illustrate a few of these. Some people can use ministry, for example, as a way to find approval. They can manipulate ministry in such a way that they receive the love and the respect and the adoration from the people within their sphere of influence. This is a person that has an inordinate craving for desire that's not being satisfied in Christ alone. A person can set up the idol of work, which is just a synonym to ministry, but a a non-ministry job, let's say, and they find their niche in life, and they're very good at their vocation, and they receive the applause of men. And this is a way that they satisfy this craving for love rather than finding their approval drive satisfied through Christ alone. Other people can get into addictions. Uh, Perhaps a spouse will go and get into an adulterous relationship because uh, their spouse is not loving them the way that they want to be loved. Uh, Perhaps a spouse can find a hobby. It's just another way of finding a niche like ministry or work, and they use their hobby as a way to uh, collect praise in order to get their approval drive stroked. Self-righteousness is another way. Gossip, for example, when you're self-righteously gossiping, looking down on another human being, you feel superior to that person by gossiping about someone, and so you feel you're getting your approval drive stroked by elevating yourself above another individual, comparing yourself to other people, whether it's through gossip or through other means. Maybe the money that you have, the neighborhood that you live in, the car that you drive, the job that you Uh, have the church that you attend. Uh, There's many ways that we can be self-righteous. Maybe it's just an internal condescending attitude toward others that is really not manifested out loud, but yet it is a self-righteous spirit where you feel superior to other people, and you you have your self-imposed respect that you are receiving through self-righteousness. If my functional God does not cooperate and satisfy these inordinate cravings of my heart, then I may look to other means to feel better about myself. Therefore, the answer to that is to choose repentance. And so where we are thus far in this webinar is that a normal desire for love and respect doesn't have to be bad. God wired us that way unfortunately we live in a Genesis 36 post-Genesis 3-6 world, a fallen world, and so we take normal desires, we place those expectations on other people to meet them, like say in a marriage relationship, and if that spouse doesn't meet them, we will be tempted to react uh, by finding our approval drive stroke through other means, and of course the answer to that is to choose repentance. Let me break it down just a little bit more. We have an individual, and this person is insecure as I've been describing throughout. And then they have a functional God that they have set up to satisfy the cravings of their heart. Will you love me? Will you accept me? Will you approve me? Please do not reject me. Their insecurity is driving uh, their their mind their thoughts have been held captive by their insecurity, and so they're looking for another relationship to satisfy the insecurity. Whenever you do that, you are going to be disappointed. Any time that we place in other people what only God can satisfy, we have set ourselves up for disappointed, for being disappointed. Now, once you're disappointed, you have a couple of options before you. You can rebel, meaning you can get angry at the person who disappointed you or you can go out and and find those insecure desires and cravings of the heart satisfied through other means and of course those are not answers at all the best answer is to repent recognize that i've set up a functional god in my life i've set myself up for disappointment but the real deeper issue is not the disappointment that's happening on the behavioral side of our relationship not what's going on with the functional god that i've set up in this relationship but there's something broken in me i am looking through human-centered means to satisfy things that only god can satisfy through christ all right so i want to detail this out with a little more uh being a little more explicit a little more detailed uh, before i get into a solution and so what we have here is an insecure person they have an approval drive where they want someone to accept them, to respect them, not to reject them. And so this is, this is how their heart normally functions. And they have a normal desire. And sometimes we can become confused because it's like, well, is it wrong to want somebody to love me? No, it's not wrong. Again, this is how God wired us. He built us for reciprocation. We want to have a reciprocating relationship with Him. We want to have reciprocating relationships with each other. So to love others and to experience love from others is a normal desire. Unfortunately, we can take our desires and they metastasize, they morph. They become larger than what they should be and they turn into needs. A desire is something that you can get or not get and be okay. A need is something that is different. I absolutely have to have this, and I will not be happy until I get it, and that's the differences between a need and a desire. A desire can be disappointed and overlook it, and can move on down the road because they're operating with hope. A need is the individual who puts the stake in the ground and says, you will give me this right now. And so if we don't guard our desires, and they metastasize into a need, then most definitely we're going to set ourselves up with an expectation that this individual is going to do X, Y, Z for us. And so now we're in a bad spot because basically what we've done is we've set a fallen person up to disappoint us because our normal desire has morphed into a need, which is set up an expectation. And now here we are sitting in the place of, of disappointment. And let's say that the disappointment is, according to this webinar, the person criticized you. And so we have the critical spouse and the insecure spouse. We see the pathway of why the insecure spouse is this way, and now they're married to the critical spouse, and they're criticized, they're disappointed, therefore the obvious response is that they are hurt, and of course you should be hurt. Uh, I'm not minimizing what they are what they have done to you. and I'm, I'm not saying what they've done to you is, is right. Uh, no, there is a another webinar. There are more resources for the critical spouse because again, criticism uh, is a form of anger. Anger is murder, according to James 4: 1, two and three. And so yeah, you should be hurt when someone criticizes you. And we need to address the critical, angry person. Uh, But in this webinar, I want you to uh, analyze and assess root cause of the insecurity, because if you or I were more impervious uh, to what other people said uh, to us, Uh, then we would not be hurt, and we would be able to move on and not be disrupted in such a way if we were more mature in Christ. And if we look to Christ and found uh, our desires primarily satisfied in Christ, then when the angry, critical person does what they do, uh, it will not have a debilitating effect on us. Uh, But the person is hurt because they're living out of a heart of insecurity, and then therefore they react to the criticized person in and ungodly way. And this is when the sin cycle kicks in. And so when they react, it's just, it's just going to spin things around uh, to where it's going to intensify the anger or the criticism. And then that's when a couple is in a sin cycle that's very hard to get out of. And that's what I want to address uh, next. But first, let's take a coffee break before we move to the uh, second half of this webinar. In this coffee break, I want to make several appeals to you, and I'll list them here on the screen. These are things that I would love for you to choose as many of these as you possibly can. Uh, it will help us. Uh, we made a decision many years ago to make our resources free, but we knew that uh, resources aren't free. Nothing is free, there's always a cost. Somebody's paying for these things, some way, somehow. And we do have a donor community, and we would love for you to participate with us that you would join us in a partnership in the gospel as we share the practical message of Christ to the world. And so our big thing is we want to give the resources away so that we can reach as many people as possible globally. And so what you see here is a list of some of the ways that you can partner with us in this gospel adventure. Obviously the most important thing is is that you would pray. If many of you would just Write our name down, put it on your refrigerator or mirror or in your Bible, and then every day or a few days that you would pray for this ministry, that God's favor would continue to shine on it. Pray for different individuals of this ministry. Go on our team page. Right now we have 10 people on that page, and Lord willing, it will continue to grow. Uh, but pray for this ministry, that God would continue to work through us reaching people for the cause of Christ. And then I would like for you to like uh, our resources and our platforms, wherever they may be. Uh, this is this is one of the primary ways that we operate, that we function, is that we use these platforms to share the message of Christ. And so whether it's YouTube or Rumble or Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram, wherever it may be, if you would like and follow, if that's a platform that you choose please do that because that will help us organically and algorithmically to reach more people. And then write reviews wherever you can, like podcasts, for example, or if you've read one of my books, jump on Amazon and write a review and give us a five-star rating. And then as I said at the onset of this webinar, for the podcast listeners, uh, share the podcast. But share this webinar too. Uh, let someone know, Said, hey, I want you to go to this website and watch this webinar. It is really good. And so it doesn't matter what the resource is, just grab the link. Uh, Many of our articles you can print off, you can share them as PDFs. Please, they're free resources. We ask that you don't change any of them. Don't edit them in any way, but please share them freely. And then the final two ways are financial. You can donate one time or many times. You could also support our ministry on a monthly or annual basis. And so would you choose as many of these as possible and partner with us as we do what we do, sharing the practical message of Christ with the world? And I would really appreciate it if you would join us in this gospel adventure. The screen that we've been looking at is a pathway of the insecure person that leads them into dysfunction, especially if they are married to, or they're associated with through work, or school, or church, a critical person. And so you have an insecure person and a critical person. And what I am dealing with in this webinar is primarily the insecure person so that they can hopefully, by God's grace, root out the insecurity so they're not managed and manipulated so much by the angry, critical person. And so the big question is, what are you to do? All right, so I want to spell that out to you on this screen here, and so I took some of the big ideas from the previous slides, and I have it at the top here, an insecure person who has a desire that has morphed into a need, therefore they have an expectation, the The flag is in the ground, and you will uh, love me, accept me, approve me, honor me, uh, don't reject me. Well, of course, when we uh, place that kind of expectation on another fallen human being, we're going to be disappointed. And so therefore, the insecure person is criticized. The title of the webinar, the critical spouse, the insecure spouse. And then once the insecure spouse is criticized, they are going to be uh, hurt. And typically they're going to respond with some form of anger. And there are many manifestations of anger. Maybe they will just go silent and, and live out uh, express the silent treatment. They may respond with some volatile anger. They may become bitter. Uh, they may may become uh, several, several different manifestations of anger, but nevertheless, they choose anger as a response to the sin of another person. And so this is a complicating problem. I am not suggesting that the critical person is right. No, that's sin, and their sin put Christ on the cross, and there is no Excuse, and there is no escape unless they are going to escape to the cross and repent of their sin. However, you can complicate a relationship by sinning in response to sin, and that's what a complicating problem is. And so, if you choose sin in response to sin, it's going to create more problems. Now, some of the ways that you can really exacerbate the relational problems, as you see on the screen here, Rather than repenting, you can justify what you did. And I hear that a lot. Well, if you just knew what he did. And, and basically, to justify means that you're declaring yourself not guilty. What I did is not wrong because of what he did. Do you hear what he did? Sometimes people will choose to escape. Maybe they will go look for love in some other place. Maybe they will uh, try to get their love idol uh, stroke through ministry or work or hobbies, some of the things that I mentioned earlier. Maybe they will react in some sinful way. Maybe they will refuse to repent. Maybe they will blame or rationalize as they maybe compare what they're doing to what other people do. These are some of the methods that people uh, people reach for or uh, use uh, as a way to respond to a person who has sinned against them. And all of these are evil, and it will. there is no way— at all, that this can help the relationship. It will only make a bad relationship worse. But it's worse than that. If you choose these means as a response to someone sinning against you, what it's going to do is going to harden your conscience. It's going to dull your inner voice. And if you continue to use or activate these responses to what someone sinfully did to you, then eventually you can become desensitized to the very things that you are doing, that you can blind yourself, you can dull your conscience or harden it uh, to such a way, you know, what Paul talked about in 1 Timothy four two that your conscience is seared with a hot iron. And all of these methods here that you see—justification, escaping, reacting, refusing uh, to own your sin, blaming it on others, or rationalizing it away—it will start layering your inner voice until after a while you will not be able to hear your inner voice, your internal moral thermostat at all. It will go silent, and then you're flying blind. And now we have two people in a relationship, unable and unwilling to see what they're doing to each other. The obvious response is for the light to come on, for this person to come to their senses and to repent. And then once they repent, then someone can come along and really shepherd the insecure person. Now they are at the end of themselves. We're not making excuses for the angry, critical person. Would never do that. There's no justification whatsoever. For what a sinful person is doing to an insecure person. But again, uh, dealing with part of the relationship in this webinar, which is the insecure person, you want them, you want one person in the relationship to stand up and say, I'm going to be mature. My spouse might not be mature, but I am going to be the mature one. Now, you don't say that self-righteously. You say that with humility because you want help. You have come to the end of yourself, and you want help regardless of what the other person is doing. Now, once they come to a place of repentance and they stop doing some of these conscience dulling mechanisms here, uh, then they're in a place of humility, and they can receive the shepherding that they need. Now, there's a quicker route uh, to get help, and that's when the person is criticized they are hurt. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good point to make, that you're always going to be hurt. Unfortunately, there's no way to uh, get around that. When someone's unkind to you, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. And I'm sad to say that, and I'm sad uh, that it's happening to you, but it's it's going to hurt, and that's just the nature of sin, and I am sorry I am sorry that that someone would do that uh, to you, but what you want to do is you want to uh, show mercy, and the text that I have in view here is uh, Matthew 18, 33. and that verse really has a lot of potency. I, I won't get into the—I'll talk about it a little bit later in the webinar, but I, I won't get into all of it, uh, but it's about the man that owed a lot of money. Uh, to his master, and his master forgave him his debt, and then he recognized uh, another guy who owed him a little bit of money, and he went out and beat him up after he had been forgiven such a great debt. And in Matthew eighteen thirty-three, the master said, you know, should you not have mercy on this man as I had mercy on you? And it's really a beautiful picture of the gospel. God has forgiven us an incredible debt. I mean, there is no way to calculate the debt. Uh, It's an infinite debt. It's an infinite crime. It's an infinite being who paid an infinite price. Uh, There's a lot of infinity here. Uh, It's a huge debt. And so I I inserted the word mercy here. It's because when someone hurts you, uh, you want to recognize the gospel at this point. God had mercy on me. Uh, Maybe I can have a spirit of mercy on this person, not justifying their sin, not even letting them off the hook. Uh, They have to repent of that. They have a problem with God primarily, but I want my heart to be saturated by mercy. Minimally, it will affect me and it will help me not to respond in anger. And so I want to live out a repentant heart because of the mercy that has been extended to me through Christ. Now, when that happens, well, this is a shorter pathway to receive help. And so whatever anger Uh, whatever frustration, uh, whatever, if ever there's any sin you have toward the mean person uh, that hurt you, you can confess that to God and ask God to forgive you you. You can reconcile with God, and you can begin a process of restoration, and then we come right back around to where now you can be shepherded. Minimally, and this is what I want you to see in this graphic, minimally one person in the relationship can receive help, and they do not have to be managed by the meanness of another person because they find their security in Christ, not in what the other person does or does not do to them, which this graphic communicates. And so now we'll take the same big ideas and put them across the top of the screen. We have an insecure person with a desire that has morphed into a need. They have set up another person as a functional God uh, to satisfy uh, whatever that desire is. That means they have an expectation, which is a setup for disappointment. And so they are criticized. And I just want to give you the the cliff notes uh, to what I showed you before. They have two paths that they can take. They can respond in anger, which is going to create more problems, which hopefully eventually will lead to repentance. Or they can recognize the mercy that God has showed upon them. And through that strength, uh, they can minimally uh, repent of any hostility or harshness that they have in their soul toward the person who hurt them, recognizing that it will never let that person off the hook because that is a sin that they will have to deal with God. But you don't want to be ensnared by what another person does to you. And so either one of these paths will get you to the place to where you can be shepherded by a competent person who can come alongside you and help you to work through your insecurity. Of course, that begs the question, what is the key in order to shepherd the insecure person? And as you might have already imagined that the answer to that question is the gospel. All roads lead to the gospel. He is uh, the solution to all of our problems. And so uh, for the shepherd and also the insecure person, uh, you want to dial in to the gospel and bring the gospel to bear on this person's life. Again, this is for your benefit, regardless of whatever happens to uh, the critical spouse. And so let's talk about the gospel uh, briefly, and I don't like saying briefly because we want to always talk about the gospel and never stop, but the gospel, a, a short thumbnail way of talking about the gospel, is the person and work of Christ. The gospel has always been in eternity past. The gospel will always be in eternity future. The center point of the gospel is the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, ascension of Christ. It's the person and work of Christ, but the gospel has always been. There There's an eternality to the gospel, but the person or the gospel is the person and the work of Christ, and it's important that you connect these two things together. Christ as a person, his ontology, his state of being, that is incredibly important because he has to be pure and undefiled, but also the work of Christ is vital as well. There is behavior, there are actions that his pure, undefiled self did, and as Jesus taught us in Luke six forty-five, that there is no discontinuity between who we are and our ontology and what we do, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, our ontology— uh, our, our words flow. I got hung up there, but out of the abundance of the heart, our mouths speak, and so there is a a straight line that you can draw from our spiritual selves to our physical selves. And so, when we think about ourselves, we think and think about the gospel. We think similarly, our person and our work. And so, the gospel is the person and work of Christ, and so Christ is the goal. And so in any marriage relationship, uh, the gospel is the goal. I mean, he—and so if you could look at it like uh, he's out in front of you and you you have a bead on him, Uh, he's the one that you want to imitate. Follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, You want to be Christ-like. We are Christians. We're little Christ, and so he is the goal. Uh, We want to be changed through and through by the gospel. We want to become— the gospel. And so the person of Christ, he had a Christ-like soul. And then the work of Christ, he had Christ-like actions. Now, where that applies to us is that we can have soul problems, we could be frustrated. We could be angry. We could become bitter and cynical. And we can have all kinds of internal noise, all kinds of soul issues, and so we want our person uh, to be like the gospel, the person in work of Christ. And of course, then what flows out of that are our actions. And so, as we are transformed by the gospel into the gospel, the person in work of Christ, well, that's going to give us. Uh, staying power in a relationship. It's gonna give us overcoming power. Uh, We will not be manipulated in the relationship. Uh, Our insecurity will turn into security. Uh, We will find our greatest desires, our approval drive. Uh, satisfied through Christ alone. And as that continues to mature inside of us, then what other people do will not have uh, the manipulative force that it had prior to. And so when I think about the gospel for this webinar, I want to dial in specifically on two gospel declarations those two gospel declarations are in 1 Timothy 115 and 16. you know them well in verse 15 Paul said that he was the chief of sinners he was the foremost sinner meaning as he scanned the horizon as he scanned the room as he thought as he went as he went through his contact list as he looked at all his likes on Facebook all the people that were within his friend group he was number one he was the chief. There was not another person in his sphere, on the horizon, in his fin- friend group, in his contact list, who was a bigger sinner than he was. That is one gospel declaration. And then in verse 16, he says, but I have received mercy. This is a profound statement that Paul is saying. Now, this comes back to what I was saying earlier about Matthew 18, 33. Can you have mercy on him as I had mercy on you. You see, and again, I'm not talking about letting somebody off the hook. I'm not, I'm not talking about minimizing their sin. No, they have to do the same business with God. There are no free passes unless that free pass is Christ, where he takes on sin. But I'm talking to you, the insecure person. It is vital uh, that you understand these two gospel declarations. The way that I talk about it is I am beholden to the gap theory. Perhaps you're familiar with the gap theory, or maybe you're thinking about something that I'm not. Let me explain what the gap theory is and why the gap theory is one of the most important gospel truths that you will ever apply to your life. The gap theory says this, the more you understand the difference from where you were to where you are, the more profound your transformation in Christ will be. Now, what were you thinking about when I said gap theory? The gap theory is the gap between where you were, total depravity, as low as you could possibly go. It's the difference between where you were, total depravity, and where you are in Christ an alien righteousness. The broader that gap is, the more profound your transformation in Christ will be. As Jesus said, talking about the woman uh, that was uh, uh, crying in front of him and washing his feet with her tears, she has been forgiven much. The person who realizes that they have been forgiven much has much gratitude they are humbled by the power of the gospel because the gap is so broad. The Pharisees had no gap whatsoever. They had their own righteousness. They did not see their depravity, and they had no need for an alien righteousness. Well, many of us can be that way as well. Lucia used to tell me that she thought God got a good deal when God got her because she had not sinned a lot and then she began to come to terms with the gospel, and she began to recognize that even though she was born in a Christian bubble and lived a Christian life, married, uh, uh, was reared by Christian parents, married a Christian, has lived a Christian life her entire life. And she came to Christ when she was five, six, something like that. But she's always been inside a Christian bubble, so she hasn't known the heinous sins like some of us have known, like me, for example. But there can be a temptation with us to look at our sin list, and then compare ourselves to each other as though there are different gradations or stratifications of sinners. There's not. And that's why Paul, who was a very religious man, probably a righteous man as far as righteousness is concerned, but when he came to terms with the gospel and when he scanned the horizon and went through his contact list and all his friends on Facebook, he says, no, nope, I'm the biggest of them all. I put Christ on the tree. And then he comes back around and says, but God has shown mercy. He's lifted me out of a pit. He set me on a rock. He's lifted me out of total depravity. He's given me alien righteousness. That's the gap theory. And the more you understand the difference from where you were to where you are, the more profound your transformation in Christ will be. And by the way, that will begin to release you from the control of other people. Uh, You can pity them. You can have pity for them. You will not be powered or managed by them. You will find a growing satisfaction in Christ alone. And so, the gospel, these two gospel declarations one is, I am the foremost sinner. It will say something like this there is nothing anyone can say to me. That is worse than what the gospel has already declared me to be. That is a paraphrase, I think, from the gospel primer um, that was written some years ago. Uh, That may be a direct quote, I'm not sure, uh, but nevertheless, uh, this is a powerful statement that we, as the chief of sinners, want to apply to our lives. Therefore, we want to ask the question, why do other people's attitudes and words bother me in light of the gospel's declarations? There is nothing that a person can say or do to me than what the gospel has already declared about me. I am the foremost sinner. That's why it's imperative that we understand the depth of our depravity and who we were before we ever became associated with that critical person. There is nothing anyone can say to me that is worse than what the gospel has already declared me to be. And so I have to deal with this question. Why do other people's attitudes and words bother me in light of the gospel's declarations? Because I'm already as low as I can go as a total depraved sinner. But then Paul also said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 16, but God showed mercy. And so this total depraved individual received mercy from God. Because I am in Christ, he is satisfying all the longings of my soul. Why would I set up a functional God to approve me, accept me, to honor me, to love me, to not reject me, and make that more important than what it means to be in Christ? I am in Christ, and he is satisfying my approval drive. He is satisfying my desires, the longings of my soul. Why doesn't my maturing relationship with Christ dislodge my relational expectations from others, It's a very important question that we have to ask, and so I would love for you to take these two questions and use them as part of the call to action that I'm going to roll into in just a moment. But why do other people's attitudes and words bother me in light of the gospel's declarations about who I was before Christ regenerated me? And then why doesn't my maturing relationship with Christ dislodge my relational expectations from others? Maybe that would point to a lack of maturing relationship in Christ, and maybe, uh, perhaps, uh, some of us have set up functional gods in our lives, like our spouses, or maybe even our children who are rejecting us, or maybe our parents who are rejecting us, or an employer who is rejecting us, or being unkind to us, or criticizing us. And we're demanding from them what Christ has already satisfied through the cross. Therefore, there needs to be a reshuffling. There needs to be a recategorizing, a reprioritizing of what's most important in my life. So these two gospel declarations from 1 Timothy 1 are critical, and as part of the answer that will help us to move from insecurity, where people have control over our lives, to security. As I wrap up this webinar, let me... Uh, share a couple call-to-action questions. title of the webinar, The Critical Spouse, The Insecure Spouse. In this webinar, I've been dealing primarily, mostly, with the insecure spouse, appealing to the critical spouse to get the help that they need for the anger problem. And again, I've already pointed to those resources on our website. Two individuals are hurt. Who is going to make the first move? I would just appeal to one of you, if you're in a relationship like this, that one of you make the first move if you're the critical spouse and you're watching this webinar or the critical individual in another relational construct and you're watching this webinar will you make the first move will you go to the other person and say will you forgive me for my anger towards you who will make the first move and then why did you answer that way question number two if you aren't changing, what is the gospel disconnect? I would appeal to you to go back to those two gospel declarations. Why is there a functional, practical breakdown of the gospel in your life? Why is there a functional God that has been erected that has a greater shadow than God Almighty? Question number three, do you believe the Lord can change you? That's a yes or no question it would be interesting to hear your answer because there is hope or no hope in your answer. Do you believe that hope uh, the Lord can change you? Is he able to change your relationship? That's yes or no. And then I ask you to explain yourself. Why did you answer that way? It may be good for you to take these questions after the webinar after you have watched it, and it maybe the person that you take your questions to, that they have watched the webinar as well, that you take appropriate screenshots that you slow it down along the way, stop it and uh, talk about uh, each one of these slides that I've presented to you. And then when you get to the call to action part, you know having a thorough conversation about how you would respond to these questions I'm asking you. And then finally, will you find help? What would hinder you from reaching out to someone competent? Uh, to help you, the critical spouse, insecure spouse. The big idea in the webinar is when one spouse is consistently critical and the other is insecure, the relationship polarizes and will not correct itself without radical changes. This final webinar speaks to the underlying root problems, practical steps to change, and the ultimate Solution. Thank you so much for watching The Critical Spouse, The Insecure Spouse. I am Rick Thomas. If we can serve you, please jump on our ministry's web- website. We are a dialogue ministry, and so we have free community forums. If you happen to be a financial supporter of our ministry, then I want you to go to the private forums. It is a smaller community, it's our supporting community. The two forums, you can go to either one, uh, but if you are a financial supporter, I want you to know that there is a smaller community that you can go and ask your questions. But either way, uh, please come to our community. We have a team of people uh, that would love to serve you if it's about this idea, this case study that I've been walking through uh, dealing with the insecure spouse. If you are an insecure person, And it's not necessarily a relational difficulty that you have, but you just struggle with insecurity. Well, this webinar is for you, as you already know. Let us know how we can serve you. And again, uh, you can come to our our forums uh, to receive that help. Thank you so much for watching.